One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So Casper, for four years, I had a job with a lovely boss and wonderful friends, and I couldn't have cared less about the work that I did. (laughs) Could not have cared less. And looking back, the thing that strikes me is that not once did I dread getting up in the morning and going to this job. Yeah. And like there were certain tasks at work that I liked more than others, but I was so happy. And like, I love my life now where I get to completely live in to all of my dreams of the things that I love to do. But those four years were also so fulfilling and fun. Hmm. And they were much less stressful. And I think that is a version of the question that Rachel is bringing today. Is are our lives better when our work is all consuming and is this huge expression of who we are? Or is there something really nice about just like a good job that you kind of don't really care about? And that you get to live your life around. It doesn't have to live at the very center of everything you do and define everything that you are. Kind of sounds great. It was amazing. I remember being like, do you know what I can do? I can leave at 440 today to catch the 512 movie. (laughs) I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Kyle. And this is The Real Question. Today, we are joined by Rachel, who lives in the Bay Area and works in a sleep lab at a government agency. Rachel sings Renaissance music and has her PhD in cognitive psychology. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Is it the IRS? The (laughs) IRS study sleep? (laughs) Yep, that's it. Everybody sleeps when they do their taxes. taxes. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Rachel, when I think Renaissance music, I either think like hurdy gurdy, hurdy gurdy, like that kind of thing, <laughs> or it's like beautiful motets and it's like floating soprano and kind of cathedral music. I, I like both, to be clear. Where do you land on that kind of nexus? Extremely the latter. It's yeah. all about being super, super serious, wearing all black, never smiling. I don't know. I just, I can't be expressive with my face when I'm like, 
singing for some reason. So I found this nice outlet to like not be mocked for my super curious (laughs) demeanor. (laughs) Well, Rachel, we're really grateful to have you here today, especially it is 7.30 in the morning your time. So I would love to hear what brought you here, what question you have. Well, as you stated recently, I recently completed my PhD in cognitive psychology. And specifically, I was interested in people's perceptions of math and how those develop over time. And what I really loved about my work was working with a huge variety of ages. So I loved working with the little, little kids and really just thinking about math in this sort of broad way. But then the pandemic hit when I was kind of about to hit submit on my dissertation and I kind of had to pivot what I was considering doing. So I really, I'd worked in science museums before. I'd been doing work within them. I thought I want to be a researcher in a science museum, but those jobs kind of shut down and um, museums weren't exactly hiring when the pandemic started. So I had to think a little bit more creatively and I had to really think like, what could I do remotely that would either make use of my skills or be of interest to me? So I ended up in this sleep lab, which is very random for me. I never had anything to do with sleep before. And I do love my job. I found a really amazing boss, which was a huge priority for me. I, you know, have a, have a great lab. I'm doing stuff that does have immediate applications, but also getting to think about the questions that I'm curious about. There's a little bit of carryover from some of my dissertation work. But I've been thinking so much about you know, this isn't exactly my passion. I think it matters, but um, it's not what I went to grad school for six years for. And now it's actually kind of fortuitous that we're happening to have this conversation right now because um, a civil servant position is opening up, which is kind of like tenure for government. And I'm like being asked to apply for this. And it's opening up this like, is this a permanent space for me? Or Mm. do I kind of owe it to myself to continue down this path that meant so much to me um, for so many years and that I really worked towards before grad school and then throughout grad school. You know, what is a passion? Should we monetize our passions? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out really if like I should consider changing my path again back towards what I would consider a passion, e.g. working with kids, e.g. math education kind of stuff. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And I'm wondering, besides how you live your life, how you feel about your life, what the emotional reality of your days are. Oh, that's such a nice question. Um, I I do really like my job. And one thing that was super important to me after having bad bosses in the past and, mm-hmm. you know, experiencing grad school, I wanted a really good boss. So I, I feel so good about her and how much she cares about me and my well-being. So I think there are things that are potentially more important than the exact nature of the work I'm doing. But I guess like I'm so I'm happy right now in part because I'm not thinking about my job all of the time. I'm doing stuff outside of it. I don't feel guilty on weekends when I'm not working. And there's something about grad school that really like seeps into your whole being. You know, you're on vacation (laughs) and you're just like, I should be working. (laughs) So right now I'm just happy with the I want to say balance, but actually something has sat with me that you said, Vanessa, I think in a podcast you said, I don't like the term work-life balance because work is a part of your life. So I agree with myself. Yeah. I say that to people a lot now (laughs) and I feel like, yeah, I like 
my life, but I hesitate to use the word balance. <laughs> Rachel, would you tell us a little bit about like your your younger self? Like was was education or working in science museums like a dream that you had as a as a very young person or was it something that really develops in later years? Yeah, yeah. So I loved math and I majored in math as an undergraduate. And the thing that really hit me and and possibly, I mean, I was double majoring in math and psychology. So I was probably also thinking about like the human experience more than mm. other math majors were. But I was really struck by the reactions to me majoring in math were typically, ew, or hmm. I hate math and just extremely negative reactions. And I always thought, if it were any other major, you would not react that way. You would be like, oh, cool. That's not for me, but good for you. And yeah. somehow it strikes this chord in people. And I thought that was so neat. I mean, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I had a couple of jobs, but then I ended up working at the Museum of Mathematics. And really thought like this is the environment that makes the most sense for me because it's all about shifting people's perceptions mm. and just like giving them this different type of exposure. So this this is like the question that has mattered to me since I was in college. Yeah. So Rachel, it sounds like you feel mostly pretty good about your current life. You're like, hey, landed on my feet. This is actually pretty good, especially in a post-COVID world, right? But I'm wondering, was there like, when you were applying for jobs, were you like, what the heck am I doing? What was that like as you were finishing your PhD program in COVID and looking at your future? Yeah. Um, so I applied for some jobs that were whatever, right, that basically just used some of my data analysis skills and brought me very little joy. And I tried to convince myself that if I were to get these jobs, I would learn some useful things, get something out of it and be able to move on. Some jobs I applied for that were pretty related, maybe designing educational games for kids, something like that. But I found myself a little bit like there's something that was a little bit too like perfect for me in my dissertation, such that whatever I did in a practical way that was someone else's design it, it like couldn't live up to my highest standard. So that I think that sort of initiated this nervousness about taking a two related job because it wouldn't be like my own intellectual craft. And then also I applied for some jobs that were really like child development oriented because I think like my probably most baseline passion here is about kids and well-being for kids. And like there was this one job I applied mm. for that was, uh, you know, dealing with like child abuse and I cried while I was submitting this application. And so that made me realize maybe I shouldn't do something that's going to affect me in this way. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is best left for my outside of work life. And it would really, it would really hurt to do something that I cared about so much. So I, I feel like I really explored mm -hmm. a lot of different areas of feeling about things and, and had trouble finding what, what might be right. Hmm. I'm so struck that you describe finding some of these jobs and like, some other person who's in charge and that they were not up to your standard. That is an unusual way, I think, to like encounter a passion in a job 
that you're like, I wouldn't have the authority to make this what I would want it to be. Can you say more about that? Did you feel ethically compromised? Was it about like, I have a vision and actually one day I'm going to make it myself in the way that I want to do it. And I'm just not quite ready yet. Like, I, tell me more about that feeling. Yeah, I, f- I feel that about a lot of things. And it's it's not 100% like an ethical quandary. It's more like, If I were to say I work for this company and we develop these tools for learning, I would be advertising them. And I just needed to know a lot more about whether I felt comfortable advertising them, which would require working in this place and really like believing in the product. And and also in in a lot of these job interviews, they're asking, why do you believe in this product? And I don't know yet. (laughs) So yeah, I have, I do have my own ideas, but they're grand ideas. I don't really have this intention of starting my own company because I think in some ways it will never live up Mm. to this image I have in my mind. So even if I make the thing that I've dreamt of and I think would be amazing, it won't be good enough. What do you, what do you dream of making? A few things. Um, I've had a lot of like YouTube show kind of ideas. One is like a puppet show called The Math Tub, and it's a big giant bathtub. And there's a little puppet named Archie or Archimedes. Oh my God, yes. He like does math stuff. And it's a fun little show, and you go visit the math tub. This show has to <laughs> exist. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a very specific idea of how to live up to your passions. And I'm wondering if you think that there is a job out there that would allow for that. And if not, where you see pursuing those passions in other parts of your life, or are you worried like they'll just die if they're not part of my job? So I think that I I haven't really veered away from the science museum concept and that continues to be the space that makes the most sense or maybe like starting a summer camp or something. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of my life, I mean, I spend time with kids. I, I'm like another primary caregiver essentially for my like niece and nephew and do voluntary stuff. Like have I'm part of a pen pal program so I can introduce kids to STEM. So I definitely make sure that this is a piece of my life But, you know, I did spend, like, again, I spent this time studying and do I owe it to the world? Even if I don't think anything I do will live up, like, do I owe that to, like, the ways that I got funding for my work and the people who've influenced me over the years, et cetera? And then this is, I don't know, I was just thinking of this this morning so my dad was kind of like my math influencer. He he studied math and he was an accountant and he's he's in like very late stages of Alzheimer's now. So he's been like kind of declining throughout my whole young adulthood. And I always think I really wish I could talk to my dad about this. Like my grad school work was the kind of stuff we would definitely talk about and he would have opinions about. And in a way I'm like, do I owe it to him because like this is something that like he so influenced me on but also he actually embodied this I just have a job and then I do all of this other stuff cuz he he was an accountant but then he like 
sat on the board for different like arts organizations and played the viola in all sorts of symphonies. And he had this like vibrant life outside of work. So maybe that feels like an interesting kind of complicator to me. Yeah. Rachel, I feel like I have such a rich view of you and your life and these decisions that must be very real in this moment. And luckily we have some help to think through this question. Can you tell us about the first text that you brought and, and why you chose it? So the text I chose is from All Creatures Great and Small, uh, a show on PBS about a veterinarian in the countryside in England in the early 20th century who's mostly working with farm animals, some pets. And then he's given an opportunity to become the vet for the local racetrack. Um, And he's being kind of grilled by this man who's kind of in charge of the racetrack. You're more of a farm vet, aren't you? I've built a strong practice. Is that so? I've taken on an excellent young vet. And my brother's about to qualify. I hope. But horses have always been my passion. Really? Belgium, 1917. Army Veterinary Corps. Ypres? In the main. The bravery of the men who fought, matched only by the bravery of the horses that carried them there. The things those poor souls endured. And then we shot a lot of them. Cheaper than bringing them home on boats, you see. If I can help a horse in pain, I feel in some way I'm repaying a debt of sorts. Why did you choose this, Rachel? What what connects to your question for you? So... I don't know how clear this is from the clip, but the person who's interviewing the vet is a little bit dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the tone. You're more of a farm vet, aren't you? And then he only kind of turns to him and asks a question once this man reveals a passion for this specific work. So his passion is horses. And I've thought a lot about this because We've been told all our lives, follow your passion. And what are you interested in studying? What do you want to do? And I I think in some of these interviews I had for jobs, when I was asked why I was interested in doing this work or passionate, I was like, that's just kind of an unfair question. Like, why should I be? And, you know, it's partly a place of privilege to be able to look past our immediate need and think about what we really want. But... Also, it's demanded a lot of the time and expected in these kinds of things that we really want to work for the specific place where we're trying Mm. to work. Hmm. Who in the situation do you do you respect? How do you feel about these two characters? So I, I the interviewer is not someone who is present in the show. So but so this one interaction with him is like he's being pretty unfair. (laughs) (laughs) the vet is like a main character and is wonderful. And, you know, he did the right thing by talking about his passion, but like if he hadn't had this meaningful experience, an emotional experience with horses prior to this interview, he wouldn't be getting the interview. Even though also another note is that right before this, he had demonstrated how capable he was with a horse Mm. that walked up. So 
he had shown how competent he was, but that still wasn't enough. Right. And and that makes real sense to me. Like, you have demonstrated competence in various areas, right? Like, that's not the question here. I'm so interested that you're landing on this word passion, because what I'm hearing in this conversation is debt and and owing. And, mm. you know, I feel that he literally says at the end of the clip, I'm repaying a debt of sort. And what you've shared about your dad and what you've shared about your own experiences as a young child, like you were introduced to loving this thing that so much of the world thinks is dumb or stupid or gross or like annoying. Yeah. Annoying, hard, you know, and what I hear in in your story is like, you want to help other people fall in love with this magical toolbox of math. And so I I feel this like, I don't know, intergenerational connection. Like I really understand that that debt piece. And I'm curious if that feels different from the passion word that you've used. Wow. What an amazing observation. Um, you're so right. Yeah. I think I'm saying, should we follow our passions? But the reasoning seems to be in this like debt oriented way, not because it's what I want or something. And I might not want to do what I've set out to do. And maybe, maybe that's why all of this debt related language is, is coming into play. I might think that I'm perfectly happy in what I'm doing I'm not emotional, you know, I think potentially getting really like emotional in a work context can cause a lot of heartache and be stressful, e.g. when something doesn't live up. And, you know, I'm worried about a work environment that drains that passion from me. So I'm, I'm maybe scared also of losing the feeling of the mm. passion. Rachel, you just said a really big word, which is the scared word. And it's making me see this passion or this, this theme in your life that it's like really precious and it's sort of pure. And there's a risk of coming too close to it. And I don't know, like making it impure or something What's the fear about? Like, what what would go wrong if you if you came too close, or you you wielded it, or you you stepped into it in a way? Yeah, I think there are a few things. So, I have been disappointed in the past. You know, mm. aimed to work somewhere that I thought would be mm. incredible, and it wasn't, and that hurt like everybody working in this space. And yeah, that that's that's draining. And then yeah, and I've worked for educational companies and done a lot of research into organizations and places doing this kind of work in a more practical way and just felt like this isn't the actual solution, right? Yeah. Like we wouldn't have a lot of the problems we had if like we could just not have people living in poverty, right? And and I think being reminded on a day-to-day -day basis of sort of the futility of this thing I care about by being so entrenched in it, yeah, is potentially like 
damaging of this thing that that's been so dear, I think maybe part partly because of my dad. And then because I spent so much time thinking about it and convincing people that, or trying to convince people that like this yeah. was cool and useful. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's become more precious. So you're concerned that if you work in the field of your passion, that you'll lose your passion for it. But you are also, due to Casper's great question, worried that math education isn't even your passion and that it's just coming from a sense of indebtedness that you want to work in math education. Are both of those things true, that you're not even sure it is your passion, and if it is, you're not sure that working in that field would be good for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I feel conflicting feelings and have conflicting thoughts and don't know how to translate my thoughts into feelings a lot of the time or vice versa. So yeah. So I think if I distill my passion a bit, I discover that I just want kids to have amazing lives Mm. and it's okay if they don't like math and I would like for them to be comfortable with all the ways that they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't discover that, I think, until I was deep in grad school. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't want to be a, like, everybody should love math kind of authoritarian. So, yeah, so maybe I maybe it's not about math education. and And then at the same time, I think, you know, I love kids so much that it might be too hard to have a job Mm. that really fits into that space. Mm. Rachel, I just have an observation before we move to our second text, which is that when you were talking about the vision you had for Archie and the math tub, like, you had said that your face is not very expressive. You were extremely expressive in that moment. And so it pains me a little bit when you say you're not sure it's your passion. Because from what I know in this hour and a half conversation, absolutely you're passionate about that. I don't want to say that it necessarily has to be a job. But I wouldn't want you to to leave this segment of the reflection thinking like, am I really passionate about STEM education, math, kids, like, I I see that passion very, very clearly. So I I don't know if that's helpful, but I I just want to reflect that back. Thank you, Casper. I do want to say that I think I have an expressive face except while singing. That's like my weakness. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Rachel, what is your second text? So my second text is from a novel called Ammonite, a science fiction book from the early 2000s by Nicola Griffiths. Um, And it's about these people from Earth who are traveling to a planet that had long ago been inhabited by people from Earth. And they've evolved in such a way that there are no men left on the planet. There was some virus that killed off all the men. And yet these women can still reproduce and they're living this interesting life on a different planet. And our protagonist, Marg, is an anthropologist who's been studying and preparing to come to this planet and learn about the customs and figure out how they're able to reproduce. And she ends up assimilating into the culture. They get sort of stranded there. And she's being probed about her profession because this is way more of a culture of like subsistence and less about intellectual pursuits. So there were a lot of passages to choose from, but the one I chose was she was not sure she wanted to do that anymore. Suddenly she was not sure about anything anymore. And that was frightening. If she did not want to do what she had set out to do, then what did she want? Something had changed. Some part of her was gone. So the obvious question is what part of you is gone? <sighs> I don't know yet. You know, I haven't I haven't made this particularly clear, but there is a lot I get to do in my current job that relates to what I did. So for example, a big part of my research was about metacognition, so thinking about thinking people's perceptions of their abilities in math. And I'm now translating that into a sleep context. So that's really neat. And I'm getting to design studies and and do things that I sort of loved to do in that context. I'm just not working with kids. So that's a bit of a bummer. I guess maybe the concrete piece that is gone is that. And I'm trying to figure out too if it's a wound that heals. So... Mm. Grad school hurts and <laughs> maims. <laughs> I needed glasses because of my qualifying exams. <laughs> and there's something that I feel like I can't touch necessarily right now because it mattered so much, e.g. working with kids and exactly the research that I was doing, but I don't know if it'll heal. So it might not be gone. It's just currently currently healing. I am struck by the question that always is present in all conversations, which is, 
you know, is, is this choice forever? And and Marg, Marge, is like really cut off from the rest of, you know, the world that she's known in, in a really serious way. Taking a job or applying for this civil servant role could be two years. You know, it, it, it isn't forever. And I'm really struck by you saying like, maybe there's just a little bit of time of healing that's needed after grad school for whatever that comes in the future to to take shape. It doesn't have to happen right now. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me from the text that you've chosen is the way in which Marg, like her identity is so anchored in the work that she does. And as she's cut off from the world where that work was who she was, like she loses part of herself or at least a language, like that that identity piece. And, you know, the further you go into this new career direction and you become the sleep person rather than like math children's education person, your identity changes, at least in the eyes of others, if not also in yourself. And I'm wondering if that hurts or if it feels sad or fine or like, do you like being the sleep person? Yeah, like how how does all of this interact with that bigger identity question? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of reactions to this. So one is that I think re some of our earlier points we're taught that passion is the way right. forward and i think that's hard to let go of mm-hmm. and you know part of having this conversation is just the meaning of work i think has come up so much in my conversations with friends in the media since the pandemic and yeah it's like a grieving letting go process to maybe not have work be the strongest identity. Mm. But also it's true that I have been quote the math person for so long. Like in college, I, you know, was always known like, look at this person (laughs) who doesn't seem to embody my like idea of what a math person looks like. And, you know, for as long as I can remember, random people send me articles and it's kind of nice. It's like, oh, this professor Mm. just thought of me because they saw something about math education in the news. And like, that wouldn't happen to most people. It's just that like, it's such a strong identifier for it. It has been for me. And it's nice to be thought of that way. So now that's maybe coming to somewhat of an end. And the thing that's cool is I think I think sleep is so important and sleep is also going through this cool transition right now too of like people realizing it's important and not trying to like be sleep deprived as like a marker of being a hard worker and like important person mm-hmm. in society. So I think there's a lot that sleep has to offer <laughs> our lives. So yeah, so maybe maybe it's okay to find this new thing and and I will say one thing that I really appreciate about my job right now is that I'm both learning a ton about a new field. Like it's so new that nobody expects anything from me. So I'm kind of just like, oh, questions, answers. Mm -hmm. And then because I'm a senior person in the lab, I have a PhD, I'm getting to mentor a lot because I have all of these like research skills and that's something that I love to do. So I get this really cool balance where I get to like feel like an expert in some ways and be a total learner in other ways, which is part of why I ended up in school for Mm. like 20 bajillion years. The only thing I'll say in trying to think about these two texts in conversation with one another is that they are both positioned from a negative point of view. I don't mean that they're like negative about the world, but it's like, 
I have to do this because I owe a debt. And then it's, I don't know if that's what I want to do anymore, right? It's about rejecting something. And so I'm wondering if there's like a positive version of this. What is the thing you want to opt into? Yeah, I guess what I want to opt into maybe is this continuous learning and also even though I've left some things unfinished like some papers I haven't yet published from grad school there is more of a finality because I'm in a different field it's a bit more like I did this and that's that's a different feeling (laughs) from a lot of the feelings for many years But yeah, I think, yeah, I do like learning and it's okay to lean into that maybe. Well, Rachel, I think the thing that I wish you as we wrap up is in the knowledge that maybe there isn't a bad decision is trying trying to transition to choosing things that make you happy rather than spending time in the doubt and fear space, but like stepping into stepping into joy, for lack of a better term. Thank you. Rachel, I wish you all good things in this decision, but also just in life. And I'm also very excited about that YouTube show and seeing Archie in the math tub. I don't know what shape it's going to take, but I think it is going to take some shape at some point. And As you make sensible adult decisions, I hope you keep alive that love of learning and children and the things that make you come alive, whether that's in your professional or personal life. I just think that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I have been really looking forward to this conversation and investigation into these thoughts. And I'm so grateful that the two of you do this with strangers like little old me. Our maxim this week comes from Dallas Caples in Oregon, who has this wonderful quote, which I love so much and feels very apt for this conversation. Have patience with everything that remains unresolved in your heart. Live in the question. That's from Raina Maria Rilke and his letters to a young poet. So thank you, Dallas. Dallas, patron forever. Best one. (laughs) So thank you, everyone, for listening to our show, The Real Question. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. And if you love the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. A special shout out to those patrons at the BFF tier level, Laura Lorber, Amanda Schramm, Effie Howe, Ashley Mayle, Eloise Faring, Mary Margaret, Stephanie Fedowish, Jenny Cruz, Kristen Hall, Becky Boo, Bitty, and Ari. We are a Not Sorry production. We are executive produced by Ariana Nettleman and mixed by Erica Wong. Our music is by Nick Bull and we are distributed by 8Cast. A special thanks to Rachel for joining us today. And of course to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Yaramas, Gabby Iori, Stephanie Paulsell, and Casper. Thank you. And, and you, Vanessa. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.